Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. To victory in Jesus Christ, I want you to open up your Bible with me. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And immediately, if you, uh, you know your Bible... You know what chapter this is. It's a chapter that starts off really bad and ends off really, really, really good. And by the way, that's, uh, that's just a little uh, preview of your life. <laughs> starts off really bad, and by the end, it gets really, really, really good. And so tonight I want to encourage you this evening, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to read a few selected scriptures in there, but before we do that, I want to show you the picture that we're going to put up on the projector screen tonight. A new American hero, we don't know his name, but we do know that he is a special operations animal connected to our special ops delta squads he is a belgian malinois i hope i'm saying that right and although the military is withholding his name he is being hailed as a hero in the operation that ultimately resulted in the death of the islamic state leader abu Bakr al-baghdadi This is the tweet that Donald Trump released uh, as soon as we heard about this news. He called it a dog, a beautiful dog, a talented dog. (laughs) And though he sustained some injuries of his own, he gave this dog credit for ensuring that dozens of special operators on the ground who completed the two-hour mission unscathed. President declassified this photo on Monday. He said that we had no one hurt, and that's why this dog was so great. So according to the report that we heard, as they, uh, as they identified the location of this number one terrorist in the world, they prepared for several weeks for this attack. They had, I believe it was about 200 special forces. Uh, they choppered in through the dark. And uh, as, they, as they overcame the, the compound where he was, what these dogs can do is beyond what human beings can do. Because dogs like this can identify their target. He chased this terrorist down into a hole uh, faster than any robot could do, faster than a drone, more effective, more powerful than any human being could do in the same situation. And this dog right here chased the number one terrorist into a dead-end uh, cave where said terrorist blew himself to smithereens and back to 
uh, where he belongs. And so I want to uh, inspire you tonight because here's the good thing about a canine special forces dog is he doesn't have any gray area. When he gets that command, uh, attack! You know what? That dog has a single purpose and single focus, and he will not be distracted. He's specially trained, especially for these intense situations just like this. And no matter what dangers he might face, no matter what problems might get in his way, this dog is hyper-focused on the enemy and hyper-focused on his mission. If you had a dog, when you said the command, attack, and he just looked up at you, and he laid back down, I wonder, would that dog be on the special forces squad? He would not. And in that same uh, thought tonight, I believe that there are some things in your life and in mine that God calls us to obedience. God calls us to move. God calls us to step out. But often, when we receive a command, we don't do like this faithful and obedient dog did. We wait, we hem, and we haw, we think, we consider. And I want to encourage you tonight, I want to drive you to action this evening, because I believe uh, too many of God's people are sitting around. While God is commanding us, let's read this famous story from 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath. I'm going to skip uh, several verses here, so pay close attention. Uh, Starting in verse 1, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle, encamped between uh, Soko and in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore a bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose a man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, then you will be our slaves. Verse 10, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight with me. Verse 11, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, They were terrified and deeply shaken. That's many Christians right there. For 40 days, I want you to say 40 days right now. For 40 days, every evening and every morning, the Philistine 
champion strutted out in front of the Israelite army. Verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks and David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Verse 32 says, don't worry about this Philistine. David said to Saul, I will go and fight him. It's a sermon I've titled, Attack! Because that's what so many of us have been commanded to do while we sit in our comfort, shaking in our armor. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We're asking you, Lord, inspire us, God. Give us courage. Give us strength that we do not have in our own. Lord, you have given us the Holy Spirit. That spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And you've not given us that spirit to sit and be idle. You've given us that spirit to be bold and courageous for your kingdom, to defeat the enemies that are arrayed against us. I'm praying tonight, God, give us boldness like lions to chase down every Goliath that stands in the way of your kingdom. And we thank you tonight for all you're going to do in Jesus' name. God's people would say, Amen. amen. Let's begin tonight by looking at the persistent enemy. How many know tonight that the enemy understands how important this battle is? We have an enemy tonight. You have an enemy. The moment that you got saved, the moment that you surrendered your life to Christ and confessed your sins and became a servant of the living God, do you know what happened to you? You were enlisted in the army of God. And every army has an enemy. We have an enemy tonight. That enemy, he is not idle. That enemy, he is not uh, weak. We have enemies that are arrayed against us. Like in our scripture, there is an enemy that has risen up to stand against the armies of Israel and indeed against the king of heaven. For 40 days, it said in verse 16, every morning and every evening, twice a day, with regularity, with persistency, with diligence, the enemy faithfully came to taunt the Israelite army, to strut around like a peacock, filled with arrogance and pride. Listen, he is such a perfect picture of the demonic, isn't he? The Goliath is a perfect human figure of what the the enemy of our souls does every single day to us. I want to tell you tonight that Goliath was not as strong as he looked. We know that from later on in the story. But when he came out on the battlefield that day, I want to tell you he was intimidating. I want you to imagine me, listen, I'm, I'm about six feet tall, and with the help of this stage, I'm about seven and a half feet tall. Now, this 
ceiling is about 10 feet tall. I want you to imagine what a nine-foot Goliath would look like. Nine feet of, uh, of rippling, ugly, mean old Goliath who carried around a spear and armor that weighed more than some of you. <laughs> and as he came out, not only was he physically intimidating, the words as they dripped off of his massive lips, as he taunted those people and cursed them and cursed the people of God and he cursed the God of heaven. Oh, how he was faithful, like clockwork, every morning and every night to remind them of what failures they were, how weak and intimidated they were, how weak and fearful they were. Remind you of anybody? There is an enemy of your soul, beloved, who will persistently and faithfully accuse you. You're nothing. You can't do anything. Who do you think you are anyway? You're not a good Christian. You couldn't do that even if you tried. Each morning and each night, have you heard the whispers from the foul lips of the enemy of your soul tonight? No doubt, each night after they had heard their evening obscenity, the Israelite troops would gather around the campfires and they would say to themselves, tomorrow, tomorrow we'll get them. Tomorrow we'll attack. Tomorrow we'll choose a man. Tomorrow someone will rise up brave enough. Tomorrow we'll find victory. We'll stop shaking in our armor. Tomorrow. And yet tomorrow would come, the sun would rise, and Goliath would reveal himself again. And again, they would be defeated. They would be filled with fear and intimidation. They would cower. And King Saul, right along with them. I want to tell you, we face a persistent enemy who does the same. And many times when we try to encourage ourselves, many times when we attempt to, uh, to in our own strength, bring, uh, bring an end to the enemy's taunting, we are very unsuccessful. Have you figured that out? Without God, you are no match for the enemy. That's why the Bible says this in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, to stay alert, to watch out for your great enemy, the, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Our enemy is just like this Goliath, patrolling our lives. He sends his demons to, to snope you out, doesn't he? He sends his wicked ones to watch over your shoulder and see what you're involved in and to learn about your temptations and your weaknesses. You know why the devil does that? Because he don't fight fair, man. He doesn't... Come and tempt you when you're strong, does he? He comes to tempt you in your moments of weakness. We come to church and we gather together and we have a good old time singing our songs and clapping our hands and coming to the altar. And the devil, he's just waiting. He's just waiting out the, out the front door. He said, ah, it's okay. Let him go to church. Because you know what? He doesn't tempt you when you're sitting here. He tempts you when you get back home. When no one else is around. 
He tempts you in traffic. Hello? He tempts you when your child gives you that look or says that word. What? He tempts you when family members and friends say things or when someone turns their back on you or betrays you or lies to your face and the enemy comes and he says, oh, here's my chance. See, Goliath never attacked as long as the people of Israel showed strength. All he did was stand on his side of the hill and curse. Let me ask you, how long has the enemy been taunting you? How long have you been living in defeat? It says that this army was out there for 40 days. Can you imagine? 40 days living with this foul-mouthed demon from hell. How long have you been living with your demon? How long have you been allowing his accusations? How long have you been listening to his lies? I don't know about you, but I've gone through seasons of my life, seasons of defeat, seasons where the enemy points his finger, seasons of blasphemy. I want you to know tonight that the enemy is persistent. The longer you live for God, you think that your life is going to get easier. I wish I had better news for you. The attacks of the enemy will change over time. They don't get weaker. They get more precise. See, the enemy, maybe he doesn't tempt you with, with, a, with a bong anymore. But over time, how many know the temptations of hell change? They transform. You don't have the same weaknesses today that you used to. Some areas have gained strength. Some areas have gotten weaker. With time that passes, especially for Christians, one of the greatest temptations we face is that of religious pride. A religious pride that says, I don't need to repent. I don't need to apologize. It's a religious pride. I go to church. I'm a spiritual person. I read my Bible. And so, like a Pharisee, I don't need really to pray because I'm holy enough. That's a religious pride. The enemy loves to dangle that in front of his people. He is such a crafty enemy. Do you know what he does? In the morning, he will tell you you're not a good enough Christian. And then in the evening, he'll tell you you're a good enough Christian. You don't have to go to church. And everything that he does, I want to tell you, he is persistent. He will not give up this fight. He will not recede against God's people. He will not give up ground without a fight. He is a faithful and a persistent enemy. And that's why tonight there is a mistake that Christians can make. There is a mistake that maybe you have been making in your life. It is the mistake of inaction. There is a mistake that we make tonight in the face of a persistent enemy. It was the same mistake that the people of Israel had been making for 40 days. It said that on the day that David came out and he saw this situation, listen to the words of the scripture here 
in the New Living Translation, verse 23, it said that David heard him shout his usual taunt. Everybody say usual taunt. (laughs) You know what that tells me? That he was not very creative. He came out and said the same stupid thing again and again. He came and he said the stupid taunt again, the usual taunt. They had gotten used to it. Let me tell you the results of demonic persistence. There was a great difference between day one and day 40 of this demonic attack. You know what what would have happened on day one when Goliath opened his big stupid mouth and cursed God and cursed Israel? You know, on on day one, I'm sure that would have inspired some passion. You hope that King Saul and all of his army out there, that they would have felt something, right? You're not going to say that about me, about my God, my people. You're not. How could you blaspheme the name of God, right? But you know, by the time 40 days have passed, here he comes again. Yep, I know what he's going to say this time. He's going to say, curse God. He's going to say this, that. Yeah, whatever. You see the difference between day one and day 40. Because they had allowed him to continue, their own hearts had been shifted. This is the mark of Christians. Listen, don't don't lose it tonight. Don't get distracted. This is what happens to us. When the devil attacks the first time, or when temptation comes, or when we fall into sin, the first time that it happens, how many know? Ooh, it hurts. God, I'm sorry. Right? The, first, the first time you tell a lie after you got saved, the first time that you messed up and fell into temptation, man, you thought you were going to die. You had so much conviction. You couldn't wait to get back to the altar so that you could repent. But there's a difference between the first time and the 40th time, isn't it? There's a difference between the first time the enemy comes to accuse and the 40th time. That's because of inaction tonight. There ought to be a few things that get you fired up tonight. You know why that is? Because there are some things in life that are not right. There are a few things in life that get God's blood boiling. I'll tell you that. God is not ambivalent about sin. If you've been been in on our uh, Sunday night Revelation Bible study, you will know that God is serious about sin, isn't he? He don't mess around. There are some things that are happening in the world today. There are things that the enemy still is moving and affecting that make God upset I want to tell you tonight there are some things in life that really ought to get your blood boiling you know one of the things that just seems to drive me crazy I try not to let it affect me too much but you know when I hear people using the name of the Lord as a curse word man something about that just gets under my skin when people use the name of Jesus that beautiful, that wonderful name of the one who set me free and forgave my sins, and they use it as a common cuss word, dragging it through the mud. 
something about that, man. Ah! Something about that, man. Sexual perversion in every corner of our society. You know, tomorrow night, there are people in Virginia Beach and probably in your neighborhood who are going to dress their little girls up like whores. That ticks me off. To hypersexualize the children in kindergarten. Dress them up like little naked witches. It's wrong. When you see a father in Texas, he's having to deal with this situation. His his ex-wife is trying to take their little boy and turn him into a girl to block the hormones, a chemical castration. You know, something about that ought to get your blood boiling, man. Something wrong with that. And yet... When we choose to not act, when we choose to practice inaction, some of that passion begins to be lost and leak out. Jesus, we know there were a few things that fired him up. When Jesus came into the house of God one time, he came into the temple, and you know what he saw there? He saw some mess. He saw saw money changers in the house of God. This is in John 2, verse 13. It was time for the Jewish Passover. Jesus went to Jerusalem, and in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Now, this, there is a, a, a place for business, but I want to tell you the reason that Jesus' blood got boiling is because it was happening in the very house of God that there was people that were driving a profit from, from true worshipers, people who simply wanted to come and have an experience with God, and there they are making a profit off of God's good people. Something about that set Jesus off. He says, not in my house. You're not going to do that. See, this is why you shouldn't bring your multi-level marketing into the church. This is why you shouldn't, you know, I'm all for businesses. We need good, godly businesses. But listen, you're not going to come in here and rip off the people of God and put pressure on people. Oh, hey, would you come to my house and do a presentation for them? I got some insurance policies I can sell to you. There are people who target churches for that very reason. Because they're going to come in here and they're going to try to make a profit off of people who are simply good and godly people. They're trying to help a brother out. Mm -mm. Jesus made a whip. Did you hear that? A whip. He made a whip and started driving them out of the temple, turning over their tables, their coins spilling out on the floor. And he said, get these things out of here. You don't turn my father's house into a marketplace. Jesus saw injustice. And it ticked him off. There are times in the Old Testament when the anger of the Lord burned hot. Did you ever read that? The anger of the Lord burned hot like that time 
when Moses was up the mountain and the people were back down at the bottom, they rose up to play, the Bible said. They made a god out of their gold and they worshipped it with debauchery. And the Bible said that the anger of the Lord burned hot against them. And he came to Moses and said, do you know what your people are doing down there? They are worshiping a false god. And they are saying that that piece of gold is the one that delivered them out of Egypt. Can you feel the blood boiling? The righteous indignation. Listen, God, yes, he is merciful. God is merciful, and so, you know, he he would have been right to just wipe them all out with a thunderbolt. But God was not inactive about this. He began to act. I wonder. The same day that Jesus went in to cleanse the temple, I wonder how many good and godly Jews went into that same situation and they did nothing. How many temple goers, how many worshipers just walked past the merchant's tables? Oh. And in their heart they said something's wrong about that, but they did nothing. There are good and godly people every day, even in the church, who know about injustice around them, but they don't act. There are people maybe here tonight that there is injustice in your own life. There is hypocrisy that God is trying to root out. But we do nothing. We don't act. And so over time, we grow ambivalent. Goliath is there shouting in your face. But after 40 days and 40 nights, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I want to make a statement tonight that you need to remember. Time is no friend for righteousness. When God calls us to righteousness, when God calls us to judge sin, when God calls us to obedience, time is not your friend. Notice the timing of this victory that finally came against Goliath. It was when this young man, David, David did not plan to be there that day. David did not plan to become a hero. David did not have this mapped out in his mind. The only thing that was different about David was that he had a pair of fresh ears and fresh eyes. He came into this situation and he saw the same thing that everyone else had been seeing. But the difference was he saw it for the first time. Are you with me? He saw it for the first time. They had seen it 40 times, 80 times, day and night. But he came and he saw it the first time. And he said, how come nobody has done anything? How come we're all sitting here? How come we're all afraid? He says, I'll do something. He's there to to be a, a cheese delivery boy. He's there just to supply his brothers on the front line. But he sees something for the first time. Listen, here's the lesson in this story. Righteousness is something that must happen quickly 
quickly. Because if you allow Goliath to taunt you, if you are inactive in the face of evil, you better do something quick or else it'll be with you for too long. Are you hearing me tonight? I tell people, especially teenagers, young people, you better be careful with your decisions. You better be careful with your habits because the habits that you have as a 16, 17, 18-year-old are the same habits you're going to have as a 40, 50, and 60-year-old. So build good habits. The same is true for Christians. You better be careful with how you live as a new convert. Those first six months of salvation are so critical because in those first six months, you're going to decide how much Bible you're going to read. You're going to decide how much of a prayer warrior you're going to be. In those first six months, beloved, I want to tell you, you are setting habits that are going to last throughout your Christianity. And yes, thank God, He is able to change us and deliver us. But I want to tell you, righteousness must happen swiftly. Righteous decisions must be made quickly or they might not ever be made. When Goliath comes out and he reveals himself against you, you better judge it. See, the Goliath that you refuse to judge will be the Goliath that lives with you for 40 days, 40 nights. Parents, when it comes to when it comes to correcting your children do it quick don't wait for tomorrow oh tomorrow i'll correct you tomorrow i'm going to spank your butt oh the time's already gone do it quickly do it when they're young when they're two and three year old you know it's a lot easier to correct a two-year-old than it is to correct a 12 year old who's with me look at skylar with his hand in the air he knows You better correct them. You better get a handle on them young because once they get six, seven, eight, it's almost time for correction to be over at that time. Are you hearing me? Believers, the time for righteousness is not tomorrow. It's today. God deals with us at the altar, doesn't he? God is faithful. When Goliath shakes his 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 weapons against you. God's faithful. Go. Attack. Now. But what happens when we're ambivalent and we say, I'm going to pray about this for a few weeks. You know what happens? Convictions usually become weaker over time, not stronger. I'm going to say that again because some of you didn't catch it. Is this thing on? Convictions get weaker over time, not stronger. So you better have some strong ones today. The product of inaction is what we see in the army of Israel. It is paralyzing fear. Verse 11, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. They failed to act swiftly and they were paralyzed in fear. I want to tell you tonight, 
even in the midst of our defeat, God gives us the possibility of victory. Maybe you found yourself tonight in a bad pattern, in a bad habit. You found yourself in a position of defeat. That Goliath is taunting you. What a loser! What? Ah, look at him there! He can't even get free. He's still stuck in kindergarten Christianity. Ha ha ha! Little loser! And you found yourself stuck on one side of the valley. And the enemy, he's there. He's faithful. I want to tell you tonight, God always gives us a possibility for victory if we'll take it. This is one of those situations, you know, I hear people sometimes, oh, God, God, deliver me. God, would you do something? God, would you move? And I can imagine God up in, he- in heaven saying, why don't you move? Why don't you do something? If you will move, then I will move with you. And this is exactly what happens in our scripture. God is just waiting for somebody, anybody, even a stinking little teenager. The cheese delivery boy. Even if he will do something, God says, I'll help him. What it takes tonight, what it takes to get victory over your Goliath, it takes fresh ears. It takes fresh eyes. You've got to see the way that God sees. David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. Verse 26, he said, Who is this pagan Philistine that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Verse 32 says, Don't worry about him. I'll fight him. I want you to pray tonight. Your prayer needs to be, God, help me to see my life the way that you see it. Help me to see my situation the way that you see it. It means to have a sensitive conscience. To have a sensitive conscience. You remember the story about David later on as he is uh, ascending to the throne. Saul is still the king, but we know that God has called David to replace Saul. And it would have been probably to David's advantage to kill Saul and get him out of the way so that he could take his place as the king. But David was so fearful of the, the, the judgment of God that he said, I don't want to kill the king. I don't want to even put my hands on him because Saul is the king that God placed over Israel. Can you imagine that? When Saul was losing his mind and he was going crazy and he was filled with all this mess. He didn't deserve to be the king anymore. And it was David's rightful place to take the throne. But David says, I don't want to kill him because God put him there. And God is able to take him out. There's a situation that you know in 1 Samuel 24, just a few chapters later, when he has what looks like the perfect opportunity. Saul is there, and, uh, and you know, it's time for the king to, uh, to use the restroom. And uh, so since there's no porta-potties in the ancient world, he finds a nice private cave to go use the restroom in. Everybody understand what we're talking about? And there's Saul 
in a cave by himself doing his duty. He's in the weakest position that a man can be, right? What he doesn't know is that just around the corner in the cave is David and all of his mighty men. Can you imagine that situation? You're one of David's mighty men, and you're like crouching behind the corner as the king, the one who's trying to kill you, walks in and squats. And one of David's men whispers, David says, it must be from God. What better chance would I have? David takes a knife. He creeps up behind. He creeps up behind him. And he's about to take him. And at the last moment, as he's got the dagger next to his throat, God deals with him. He says, don't do it. So instead, he takes a little corner of the king's robe and goes back into the cave. And as he's got the little corner of that robe, do you know what God does? God convicts him. He feels terrible about the corner of the robe. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that because that was the king of Israel. God put him there. I shouldn't have even hurt his robe. You know why? Because at that moment of David's life, he had a sensitive conscience to God. I want to tell you, beloved, that is so precious. So precious that we would be able to feel the conviction of God again. To see clearly. To hear with fresh ears. I want to challenge you. In your life, where there are Goliaths shouting, in your face, to seek wise counsel. I want to tell you there's power in having a fresh set of ears on your situation. There is so much power in having trusted advisors that can tell you. Proverbs 1.5, a wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. It means you've got to have humility. You've got to have somebody in your life who can say, why did you do that? That was stupid. Who's that person in your life? Do you have someone who will do that? Do you have anyone that you have given them a position? I give you permission to tell me I'm stupid when I deserve it. You better have that person in your life. Because if you don't, you're making decisions on your own. That's dangerous. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. Why, I'm glad that I have a pastor. When I need it, he tells me that was stupid. Because I need it. The problem with Saul and his army is that he was uncorrectable. Nobody could tell him, Saul, why are you standing around? This is stupid. It's one man, and he'll be easy to take down. How many of you know the law of momentum? An object at rest tends to stay at rest. Some of you are really at rest. 
And an object in motion does what? Tends to stay in motion. That law is true in spiritual things. If you are sitting there like a bump on a log for Jesus, the tendency is that you'll stay there. But if you are in motion for the Lord, if you are doing something for God, there is momentum that begins to build. There is momentum. That's the difference between David and the rest of the army. David was a man in motion for God. Saul and his army was at rest. I want to challenge you tonight. Attack! The time for righteousness is not tomorrow. It's now. The time for repentance is not ah, later. It's now. The time to live for God is not tomorrow. It is today. The time of salvation is not tomorrow. It's today. And when you will make that decision, when you will simply step out like David did, Listen, the victory of David was so simple. We look at that like it was some great, brilliant battle strategy. It was not. He did the same thing that he was used to doing for his entire life. He picked up stones and a sling, and he went, bam! That was it. He didn't sweat. He didn't struggle. All he did is he went out there, and he did what he knew how to do. And God took that little stone, and God grabbed it. He said, you watch what I do with this stone, David. And he took it, bam, right between Goliath's eyes. And the Bible says that David went and took the sword of Goliath as he's laying there on the, on the battlefield, takes his sword, chops his head off. You never see that in the children's stories, do you? <laughs> Chops his head off, his big old nasty head. And he holds up the head. And all of Israel, you know what Israel would, would have done? Yeah! It took him two minutes. All he had to do was run out there. Can I tell you, the victory that God has for you is not that hard. All it takes is a willing participant. Someone who will step out for God, not tomorrow, but today. I want to challenge you. Rise out of your paralysis. Rise out of your fear. And to defeat the Goliath that is in front of you. Let's bow our heads. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.